Thank you for listening to the Convergence House of Prayer podcast. Please enjoy this message by Pastor Greg Seamus. You guys got your word? Got your swords? You guys ready? All right. So just a couple quick things before we jump in. Number one is that on Tuesday is a big day. It's election day. And so um, I just want you, we just received this uh, bunch of, you know, this came from the Assemblies of God since we are Assemblies of God. It's kind of, we're just a weird thing, you know, we're assemblies and then we're governmentally and then we're connected to Bethel and all that stuff. But he did say six ways to pray for the 2018 election. And I want to take a moment and share those with you. I think it's good. I, I just want to go ahead and read what he wrote. And then I won't, I won't, I don't think I'll comment on that. Um, I'll just let the, the words do the work. So uh, pray that believers will take their civic duty as U.S. citizens to, uh, to heart and vote. Heart and vote? I don't know. To vote. I'll just say that. Typo, a heart to heart to vote. Anyway, pray that God will, will grant wisdom to voters who are facing difficult choices on multiple local, state, and federal issues. Uh, number three, pray that the elections will go peacefully and that divisions will be minimized. Number four, pray that Christ followers will represent Christ's character in their conversations and on social media. Amen. Do I have to do that message on blessing again? You guys are good. So in fact, why don't you go ahead and just turn to someone next to you and bless them. Just say, if you don't know what else to say, say, God bless you. You're amazing. Just go ahead and encourage somebody next to you. Number five, pray that the candidates who are elected will uphold the foundational values of the gospel. And number six, pray for the newly elected leaders to rely on God's wisdom for the decisions that they will make. And so we have, I don't know how many we have out there, 20 or 30 of those out in the, uh, in the lobby uh, on the information desk. You guys are totally welcome to grab a copy and be praying for the next couple days as we take our, our I guess, civil responsibilities, our constitutional responsibilities and, and vote. I just want to encourage you to prayerfully vote. Amen? Amen. Amen. Enough about that. Um, a couple things before we, before we jump in. I just felt like uh, over the last, um, man, over the last two months, I don't think I've seen 555 more than I've seen it in the last two months. And I felt like the Lord, if you guys are familiar with that, go ahead, put your hand up so I know. Okay, 555 is just... We just had this crazy financial uh, thing with 555 and, and um, that the Lord wants to release a financial breakthrough. And um, we have seen the faithfulness of the Lord in our journey uh, with, with God. And we just want to pray for anybody. I just feel like this morning, I don't do this every week by any means. I don't, I don't think, I can't even remember the last time I did this, about a year ago maybe. But if you need a financial breakthrough... Um, I just feel like the Lord wants to release that over you. And um, I believe that the things that we declare, you know, income, money coming from all kinds of different places, God is not broke. But we live in the tension of understanding that and stewarding his money. 
Your car's not yours. Your house isn't yours. Your money isn't yours. It's really the Lord's. And we, we steward our money. In fact, uh, along the lines of handling natural riches is the same coalition where he will actually give us the true riches. So how we handle the things that, that God gives us to steward actually is a, is a, a growth and maturity on how we'll handle spiritual gifts. And so if we steward properly the, the things that God gives us, then the Lord can trust us with the true riches, which is actually coming from heaven. Amen? Amen. So if you just need a breakthrough, would you just kindly stand to your feet? And I want to pray for you. It won't be a long prayer. It'll just maybe be a declaration. And um, we're believing that the Lord will just, you know, yeah, if, if you just need a breakthrough, I feel like the Lord just wants to release that over you. So just take your hands, stretch them out, get in receive mode. And I just, I just pray and release a financial breakthrough over you. I pray that the Lord would release the provision from heaven. In the name of Jesus, I pray, God, that debt would be taken care of in Jesus' name, that believers will not be swallowed up by debt any longer in the name of Jesus. I pray, God, that generosity will flow. I pray, Lord, from the windows of heaven that you would actually not just throw open the windows of heaven, throw open the doors of heaven and, and release the financial provision in people's life. We, we just break the stranglehold. I feel like I see like a a noose or a, you know, a, a, a rope around some people's finances. And we just break that off in the name of Jesus. And we pray, God, for a river of financial blessing. Lord, let it happen today. Let it begin this afternoon. Let it begin this next week. God, I pray that you would give us gifts and surprises, things that we were not even expecting. We pray for promotions in the name of Jesus. We pray for salary increases in the name of Jesus. We pray for inheritances in the name of Jesus. So many ways you want to bless your people. And God, I pray that we would just steward properly what you've given us. And Lord, we just pray that you would take our, like our, I don't know, our insecurities and our fears, Lord, and we just put those right in your hands and we say, Lord, you own it all. You own it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 You may be seated. If something happens this week, which I'm believing it will, I don't know. Somehow let me know. You know, maybe write an email or call CHOP or something. So, all right. I just want to finish up. Next week we have Chris Cruz with us. And uh, he's the young adult pastor at Bethel Church uh, in Reading, that small little church up in, up in the north. You know, insignificant apostolic work. And... Um, so we had, a, we had the privilege, Winnie and I, and uh, no, actually the guys, me, uh, Andrew, uh, Jordan, and Aaron, we had a chance to go to their first leadership advance, leadership conference, and it was crazy. Everyone just do it like that. Crazy. It's crazy. And uh, God's doing some amazing things all over the world. And so uh, we just had a great time, and, and I didn't have a chance to hear Chris uh, because they have these inspire sessions, and we had to leave on Friday afternoon. And uh, but he had one of those blocks, and he's been doing young adult ministry now for, at Bethel for a long time. And I'm just looking for—I've never heard him preach. 
Is that a step of faith or what? <laughs> Never heard him preach. Chris, if you're listening to this, you better be good. You better rightly divide the word of God. You better preach the whole council, brother. Um, and so we're just going to have a treat next week. So I just encourage you to invite someone. Tell them to come on out. Anytime you get Bethel, you're going to get their stream. And we're going to get their anointing. And so we just, they're just friends of ours. They're family of ours. And uh, so we're looking forward to having Chris come and be a part of what's going on. And get him in the Silicon Valley. Amen. And I feel like there's going to be a huge breakthrough in the Silicon Valley. I've been telling you that for two years. I feel like we've turned a page, turned a chapter actually. And I believe the Lord's going to pour his spirit out in this region in the name of Jesus. And, you know, when people tell you that, that it's just too hard to reach this area, you can let them know that they're the stronghold because they're believing that. We got to believe that the gospel is, is going to go out and people are going to get saved, healed, and delivered, and he's going to use you to do it. See? So go ahead and look at the person next to you and say, God's going to continue to use you to win our region for the Lord Jesus. So I want to talk to you a little bit about, about sonship. And last week, um, we were talking a little bit out of the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6. Remember that? And I know we have tons of information that goes back and forth on a regular basis uh, throughout the week. But let me just kind of refresh you on that. It says, um, the Lord's will can be found in, actually in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, where it says, um, your kingdom come. Your will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. That's the Lord's will. And then it says, give us this day our daily bread and lead us not. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, right? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Come on, a little bit louder. Forever. And so... Did it say amen there in that prayer? Uh, amen. That means let it be so. That's what the word means. So, so when he's going to come up and preach, uh, help me out. So the word evil actually comes from three words. And if you dig into it a little bit, it's poverty. That's why the Lord wants us to be, the Lord wants to give us all kinds of provision. Spirit, soul, and body, Right? Not just financial provision, but our health, so forth. So poverty, sickness, and sin. And so that's what the word evil means. So he wants, the Lord's desire is that the works of, the, of darkness would be destroyed by the power of the kingdom. In other words, his desire is to see darkness be overcome by light. And we know that darkness is simply the absence of light. So that's why as soon as you... As soon as we have a power source, like in a room, and we flip the switch, there's no, there's, no, uh, there's no battle. As soon as light enters a room, darkness leaves. And so that's how the Lord's designed it. You are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. So you are a leader. You're a minister. You carry the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Come on, I'm going to keep saying it until you believe it. And so he wants us... So in, in just wrestling with that and figuring out what the target is of ecclesia, remember I, I referred to you just on the, in concept to something that I read from Ed Silvosa, which is very intriguing, and that is that there's four levels of poverty. 
Number one, there is material poverty, which is lack. Number two, there's uh, motivational poverty, which has to do with hopelessness. And remember I was telling you, um, well, motivational poverty, yeah, hopelessness, I'm trying to remember. Remember I was telling you, in fact, we talked about this in staff this past week, is that why is the body of Christ so void of hope? It just feels like um, the message of hope, I mean, we know that it can't be, you know, Jesus, the word even says the greatest of these are faith, hope, and love, right? So we know hope is a key component, but the God of hope lives in us, right? And so, so there's never a, there should never be a hopeless situation because we serve a God of hope. Come on now. And so there's, there's material, there's motivational, uh, there is relational poverty, and that is a, a very, we live in a culture that's very self-centered, that it doesn't seek to serve people. And so there's this relational uh, aspect of poverty, and I really can't think of the fourth one, but it's really good. Huh? Oh, spiritual, my gosh, spiritual, right? <laughs> spiritual, like, you know, spiritual. Spiritual poverty, yep, that's a good one right there since we're actually in a service. Um, yeah, you have my note, oh, praise God. So, <laughs> spiritual poverty has to do with um, being an orphan. And that really, people who don't know Jesus are children of God, but they just haven't come into that place. They're, they're orphaned. They're, and they carry, an orphan, they carry an orphan spirit. So the opposite of that is sonship, is, is learning how to live as a, as a son and daughter of the king. And so we were just talking about that last week, and I was, I was, I've been praying, and I get on my whiteboard, and I do a lot of writing on my whiteboard, and, and I was looking at the word evil, and I said, man, it, could it be that simple? And I said, how do you, how, how do you, how do you overcome evil? And then the scripture verse popped up. Scripture verses is actually found in Romans, and it says, you overcome evil with good. And I'm like, it can't be that easy. Like, that's just too simple. I mean, that'll never, I'll, it'll never work out. Like, people think I'm deep, and, you know, I want, people to, I want people to think that I, like, I'm scoured the Greek words, and I've, like, got to the roots and all the parses and all the phrases and everything. But that's what the word says. We overcome evil with good. So then I started thinking about the attack, really the, the mainline attack in the Garden of Eden on, on Adam and Eve was for Eve and Adam to actually question the goodness of God. And the frontline attack is always going to be questioning the goodness of God. How hard is it to release good in our culture? How hard is it to be good when we have the God who is good inside of us? And how hard is it to actually do good? What did Jesus say? Jesus, remember in Matthew 25, the goat nations and the sheep nations, and they, 
And Jesus just said, if you, if, you just, if you just take a cup of cold water and you just give it in my name, that's the connection, in my name. So there's good organizations who do good. Then there's the body of Christ who do things in the name. Well, why is that important? Because in the New Testament, when the name is mentioned, the nature of that name follows it. Is it connected to it? That's why it says to pray in the name of Jesus. Why? So Jesus can approve the prayer? No, there's a supernatural element that comes in. There's, there's, there's the nature of God that's released in the prayer. That's why if you walk in the marketplace, wherever you work, all you say is in the name of Jesus, you're releasing the nature of heaven, the, the spirit of heaven in his name. That's why they were in the book of Acts trying to shut it down. They were saying, do not use Jesus' name. Because they understood, they understood the authority when the name's released. So when we do good things in his name, atmospheres shift and things change. And so I want to encourage you, we'll explore this more, I think, more next year. We're really going to explore this because I think, I think that we're, I'm, I'm hoping that we're onto something from Genesis to Revelation that talks about the expression of the goodness of God. And if we have, if there's a, if there's a struggle with the nature of the goodness of God, we'll have, we'll have a, a, a struggle, spiritually speaking, the rest of our days. God is good. Everyone, let's say it together. God is good. God is good even when I don't understand. God is good when my dad died when I was 17. He's still good. I don't understand it. I don't understand the difficulties that happened to me. But if I prevail through those difficulties, I look more like Jesus and the foundation of who Jesus is, is his goodness. So we, we talked a little bit about that. Are you guys, you guys all right with that? Because I just kind of, I just kind of jammed through that. And First Peter chapter 3, do not repay evil for evil or insult for insult. On the contrary... Repay evil with blessing. Man, that's such a powerful verse, isn't it? Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Bless those who curse you. Bless. The word bless means, it means anointing, favor, and it means that God turns his face toward that person. That's why we're supposed to pray for authorities. Supposed to pray for governmental leaders. We're supposed to pray and declare over our cities. Why? Because we want God's face to turn toward that person or that region or that state. Doesn't matter. So we're called to be salt and light. Anyone can complain. 
anyone can find a problem. I teach our staff, you always get what you're looking for. It's amazing when you walk into a room, walk into a room like this, you always get what you're looking for. What does that mean? You have a choice. You guys all right? When you go into your job tomorrow, you get what you're looking for. It doesn't mean we ignore problems. It just means that we are, our perspective has to be kingdom-minded. Anyone could be critical. Amen. So as a bride, we love. As the ecclesia, we rule. And as sons, we serve. We are sons, so we serve. We don't serve to become sons. Does that make sense? I don't have to perform to be God's son. That's by birthright. When I got born again, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that I'm a new creation. Behold, all old things become new creation, if I remember right, means new species. New species. Like a totally new t- creation. The word there is metamorphosis. It's what a caterpillar does before it turns into a butterfly. It's the same word. When you've accepted Jesus, Jesus didn't go ahead and put a fresh, uh, a fresh coat of paint over you. And now you're just, you just know Jesus, but you're the same person. According to the scriptures, you're a new creation. Wow. I don't know why I put my hand on my hips. That was... I felt like a cheerleader for a second. I was the basketball player, and then there was the cheerleaders, right? I was the athletic guy. And then there's my wife, and she's like watching a warrior game like this. You should have seen her the other night. Was it last night? I don't know, Friday night. We're, she's, she's nuts. So I don't know, I think Curry made a three and she runs, I'm sitting on my chair. You know, it's my chair, right? I'm sitting on my chair and she runs over. She must have ran over to my chair like four times during the game. And she'll do this, she'll go. And so I'll just sit down and go. Because I was the basketball player. She was the cheerleader. Wait till playoffs happen. Oh, man. We're going to have the police is going to. The police will be called. I am troubled. <laughs> this, is not, this is an interesting segue. <laughs> I am troubled. By the lack of hope 
joy and laughter in the believer's life, including my own. I'm more troubled over the last year by how many believers that we know of, or talking ministers, have taken their own life. I mean, great men who have wonderful families. And something about when they're in their 50s and 60s, there's something about the test. And we have to find joy in our salvation. We have to live from a place of joy. I just want to release joy over all of us this afternoon. But I want to talk to you about, that was all introductory. I want to talk to you about Galatians, sons and daughters. So turn to Galatians chapter 4. And this is, I just want this to be a big dose of encouragement. And I want this to be a, I feel like there are people here, well, I'll, I'll tell you in just a few moments, hopefully in 10 minutes, don't look at your, I, don't look at your phone. And don't set your timer. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Redeem means to buy back. Redeem means to purchase. So say, I'm purchased by the blood of Jesus. To redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. See, I'm adopted as a son and daughter. You can, you can use whatever word that you want at the end, but. So Paul likes to build a case. So he, he, he lays out precept upon precept. So that's just kind of how he thinks, which I love because I'm linear as well. That we might, so we've been redeemed by the Lord. This is all legal terminology. This is all part of our justification. This is all a part of our sanctification. Those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Then he says, because you are his sons slash daughters, because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit That's the Holy Spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Everyone say that. Abba, Father. That's an affectionate term. That's one of the most affectionate terms expressing a love and a devotion and an approachability to a dad. In other words, you have to see how drastic this is from Old Testament to New. 
In the Old Testament, the law, well, in the Old Testament, 400 years, there was, there was Abraham. And Galatians talks about Abraham receiving the promise, and that promise was reckoned unto him as righteous, righteousness. Then 400 years later, God introduces the law through Moses. The law's purpose is actually to expose our sin. The purpose of the law is to actually let us know we can't fulfill it. But if we don't accept Jesus, and for those who don't know the Lord, they're still under the law. That's why legally, if they don't come to a place of knowing Christ as Lord and Savior, it's the law that actually puts them into a place I really don't want to talk about. And so God was, was barely approachable. Only Moses saw God you know, face to face in Exodus 33 and the Lord's goodness passed by and the presence of the Lord, all these kinds of things. But there was all these ways of getting to God and none of them was in relationship to. So you had to sacrifice. You had to do all these things in the Old Testament. Then Jesus comes and he's the lamb, the perfect lamb. Right? And he fulfilled the law. No, he fulfilled all of the law. Every restriction, every T crossed, every I dotted, he fulfilled it all. And now the writer of Galatians, I can't wait to get, I'll get into the book of Galatians next year. But the writer of Galatians is saying, because of what Jesus did, now... The Spirit of God lives in you. You're the Son of God. And now you can actually approach the throne of grace. And you can, not, and you can just say, not, not like, you know, uh, Yahweh. You can say Abba. So I, want you to, I just want you to get a hold of the swing. Here... You're absolutely in awe of God, the holiness of God. You can't even whisper his name. Yahweh. And Yahweh was so sacred, they didn't even, they didn't even mention it. Yahweh, that's it. It wasn't, hey, Yahweh, what's going on? No, it was, it was sacred. It was holy. It was, it was not even mentioned. Now we're moving from here all the way over here, the cross is right there, to now the writer of Galatians is saying, you have been adopted as sons and daughters, and now you can approach the Lord as Abba, Father. We don't get it. I don't get it. Because there's something in me that wants to perform He's saying, you don't have to perform. Your identity is not based on your performance. It's based on what Jesus did on the cross, and you receive it as a gift. The whole argument in Galatians is do not step into the law Because if you do, you will be cursed by the law. 
And so he's arguing in the book of Galatians to walk in the spirit. That's why he says, here's the works of the flesh and here's the fruit of the spirit. So don't get trapped. And here's the tension. He says, so then, am I saying that sin abounds? And he says, certainly not. But we live by the spirit. We walk in the spirit. We're not subjected to the law anymore. That's been busted up and taken care of when we accept Jesus because he was the perfect sacrifice. That's why he redeemed us. He brought us back. And if you're a born-again believer and you're in this room, you better be thankful for what Jesus did for us. And we have to be reminded of what he did for us. And we just don't, you know, we're just not say la vie about it. And as we gain, it seems like as we grow older and older, I don't want it to be, I want it to be new for me. Does that make sense? But not only that, we actually approach him, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, you are also an heir. That's a lot to unpack. I mean, you can look at that and you can say, the question that should be is an heir to what? I mean, if you're going to get an inheritance, wouldn't you like to know what it is? Oh, man. So you have a name. Jesus lives inside of you. I think there's, there's something to say about walking in a place of thankfulness and humility, but never... Uh, never minimizing who you are as a son and daughter. There are no little people in the kingdom of God. Let me read that again. There are no little people in the kingdom of God. Let me read that again. There are no little people in the kingdom of God. We're not there yet. I should be able to read that. I should read that for 10 more minutes. There are only sons and daughters who are more than conquerors. God never reminds us of our smallness when he calls us to do something. I was taught, I wasn't raised in the church and I was still taught this. Think of, your, think of yourself as small. 
Think of yourself, because that's being humble. Think of yourself as real weak, because that shows your humility. But when we look at Scripture, God reminds us of our greatness, not so much our smallness. We saw that with Abraham. He releases a promise and says, you'll be a father of nations. How am I going to be a father of nations? Because I'm with you. When the Lord spotted Gideon in Judges 6, he didn't point out how weak Gideon was. Gideon already realized how weak he was. In fact, he reiterated how weak he was. And the Lord says, you're a mighty warrior. Calls out his greatness. When Samuel was anointing Saul, he didn't point out to Saul how weak he was. He actually pointed to Saul's greatness And Saul says, but you don't understand who I am. The Lord understands who we are. My fear is that we're so concerned about being prideful that we actually minimize our purpose and our calling and our confidence in God. And so what happened to us a year and a half ago was when somebody called out our, I'll just say called out our greatness or called out our gifting, right alongside of that was that he said that the Lord, the enemy knows he's not going to get you with pride. But my problem was, because I didn't want to fall into that, I actually went the other direction and I actually stepped into a false humility. When we begin to deny who we are because we're afraid of we're being prideful, we actually create a lack in our life to step into the purposes of God. I'm not talking about being arrogant. I'm talking about being confident. I remember talking with my, my late father-in-law about that very issue. We were talking about when we started to plant convergence X amount of years ago. We got on this conversation, and I don't know if we were talking about, I don't know what we were actually talking about, but that phrase came up about arrogance because I felt like we could do it. Of course, we understand that we can do it when it's all about him, right? But really, he's all about us. So we co-labor. So it's not about... It's not about being arrogant. It's about being confident in the God that actually lives inside of you. What did he say to his disciples? He said, I've done these works, but you're going to do greater works. 
He called out their potential. But we're so busy trying to be humble, we're not even calling out people's potential because we're afraid they're going to have a fat head. You ever have someone walk up to you and say, well, brother, I, I just don't want you to get a real big head here and say something to you, and you're like, no, please, encourage me. I would love some encouragement. I've never met anybody who said, please stop encouraging me. I've had enough. You know, don't tell me that you believe in me. I'm tired of it. It's this false humility that we walk with. And Paul is saying, no, the spirit of God lives inside of you. You are sons of God. And beyond that, you have an inheritance in God. Wake up. So you, you, have to, you might be saying, well, how am I qualified? Well, you're first qualified because Jesus qualified you. That he set you on this earth, he set you on this planet, not just to absorb a seat on a Sunday morning. He's actually set you on this planet for such a time as this with a mission and a purpose and you have the spirit of God living inside of you, you have the fullness of God living inside of you, and he's declared you a son and daughter to rightfully pick up the inheritance that he has actually given you to walk out the calling. But we try and convince the Lord that we're not qualified. Oh, you guys. Let's look at some people in the Old Testament. Let's look at some people in the Bible that God used. And then hopefully after reading this short list, you're going to say, okay, I, I, I'm qualified. Adam was a failure. God used him. Noah got drunk. God used him. Abraham was too old. Sarah laughed at God's promises. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah wasn't pretty. <laughs> Joseph, I could use other words, Joseph was abused and from a dysfunctional family. Rebecca was a deceiver. Moses was a murderer, also with a stuttering problem. Miriam was a gossip. Gideon was a coward. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Naomi was a widow. David had an affair and was a murderer. Solomon was too rich. Job went bankrupt. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Isaiah preached naked. That ain't going to happen. <laughs> Why did I even put that on the list? Hosea's wife was a prostitute. Jonah ran from God. John the Baptist had a strange diet. 
Peter denied Christ. Andrew lived in the shadow of his big brother. Thomas doubted. The Samaritan woman was divorced. Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed. Zacchaeus was too small. Timothy was too young. Paul was a murderer, and Lazarus was dead. Take your Bible, go to Hebrews chapter 11, and I want to leave you with this thought. In other words, we are not perfect men and women, unless you are. And I want you to, it's called the Hall of Faith. I want to pick up in verse 8. Now, I just read to you their character flaws. I read to you the problems that they had. David was a man after God's own heart, but he killed Uriah. He had him killed. Do you understand what I'm saying there? He slept with his wife. Their firstborn died. And God still redeems it because their secondborn was Solomon. And Solomon takes the throne of David. So you have to understand, Abraham lied. He would go into a city. He was so afraid that his life would be taken, he said that Sarah was his sister. Remember that? Sarah was his sister. And so God had to reprimand him and grow him up. I'm saying that that our unperfect lives do not disqualify us. Some of you are living in a place of shame that is disqualifying you from God using you. I'm not telling you to live in sin because that there would actually destroy the work of God inside of you. It's a work of the enemy. Because the enemy sees your potential and he's trying to wreak havoc with secret sin in your life to actually move you away from your true purpose and identity and the calling that God has for you. So let's pick it up in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. Listen to this. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would, rather, he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. Verse 11. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was, enab- was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had, who had the promise. And so from this one man, and, and he as, a, as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Wow, that's crazy just even to think about. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God 
had not said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God would raise the dead and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, the deceiver, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's, the one that was abused, Joseph's sons and worshiped as he, as he leaned on top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. By faith, Moses, you know Moses passed. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months and after he was born because he saw, uh, they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. 29, by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea. Verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell. And on and on it goes, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, Rahab, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Here's the point. When you look in the Old Testament, even when you look in the Gospels, you see their flaws, but in Hebrews 11, the flaws are never pointed out. What's the point? How does God view a believer's history? His blood changes our history into his story. His story. Well, what are you saying? I'm saying that as sons and daughters of the living God, there's grace. And our past does not define our future. And I would encourage you this afternoon not to disqualify yourself based on your past because God has already qualified you for your future. I'm divorced. I'm widowed. Like we can, we can run through the list of the things. We don't even want to run through the list because you know what I'm saying. These are all the things that we know that we need to change or things that just submit yourself to the Holy Spirit. Let him do the work, but don't disqualify yourself when God calls you qualified. So we have believers who are coming to church and they're sitting in chairs and they're filled with shame and they're disqualifying themselves from anything to do in terms of moving forward in God because of the things that they have been a part of or how they were raised or the dysfunction they were part of and they're, just, they're feeling disqualified, disqualified, disqualified and they're orphaned. When the Lord says something continue entirely different in the book of Galatians saying that you are qualified not based on your merit it's based on what Christ did so what do you do you say Lord here am I send me 
Here am I with all the stuff. Here am I with this imperfect life. Here am I with, a, with areas of things that are going on in my life that no one really knows about, but, but I know that you see that and I, I'm standing before you and I'm saying, God, help me. You can still use me. It's called, it's, called, it's called living by the Spirit in the book of Galatians and not wrapping yourself with the law. Here's the tension. The tension is if we're walking in habitual sin, we're, we're, never, we're, never, uh, we're never just qualifying ourselves from sonship, but we never come into the fullness of our purpose and destiny. So what we do is we live this life and... And we're, we're never fulfilled. But when we come to him and say, Lord, I made this mistake again. Or I've come to you and I've humbled myself before you. And I come to you, Lord, forgive me for what I did. That doesn't disqualify you from the future God has for you. And I think part of the problem about being salt and light, we're so filled with shame. We're so filled with this, this I don't know if this is an orphan thing or this whatever it is, that we don't step into it for some reason we don't, we, because we don't feel qualified. You are qualified. Well, isn't that arrogant? No. It's what the Word says. I didn't say it. He said it. If it was about me, then the Lord would, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't be standing here. I wouldn't be in full-time ministry. I wouldn't be having the family I had. I wouldn't have the kids that I have. If it was riding on me, it doesn't ride on me. It's called grace. I just want you to put your hand like this on your heart. And I want you to say, I'm qualified. Come on now. Some of you are resisting that right there. You're, you're so locked up. You're feeling like you're disqualified, disqualified, disqualified. No, no, no. No, I break that off of you. The qualification is not based on your own merit. The qualification is based on what Jesus did. And if you are a born-again believer, then you can stand in the blood of Jesus on the promises of God and come into agreement with the Word of God. You're powerful. Say, I'm powerful. You see, it's the accuser of the brethren that tells you that you're weak. You're powerful. Now, is there a weakness element? Like, I'm not talking about arrogance. I'm talking about who you, knowing who you are in God. Oh, is it okay if I use one last example and we'll end? So I'll let you know that I'm all, I'm all about the kingdom. When it comes to voting, I'm all about the kingdom. But the Lord, the Lord, when, when Kavanaugh was, uh, I didn't watch much of the trial, but when, a, when someone, when someone, when this whole thing that's, that's being built up to shut down Kavanaugh from being in the Supreme Court. And here comes a woman who is accusing this person. Who's the accuser of the brother? 
Who's the accuser? The enemy is the accuser. So Kavanaugh is in his 20s. I mean, some of you guys got saved after college. And you're not disqualified. So in his 20s, let's just say, I don't know when he went to the university, I don't know, whatever. Whatever, in his 20s. There he is. She comes in, and we're talking about, if he's 50, we're talking over 30 years later. We have a parade as a nation, a spectacle of somebody who's coming up and making an accusation and pointing the finger at a man that she says, she doesn't even know. Anyway, you guys know she came out and she said, I didn't do it. Anyway, it's it's nuts. But the Lord, I, I saw a couple tweets from a couple pastors who said, I'm glad the Lord didn't disqualify me from going into full-time ministry because I didn't get saved until I was 23, 24 years old and I had a reckless life. I mean, I slept with, you know, not me, but these guys were probably... (laughs) No way. But I'm just saying that... I'm just saying that these guys had had a pretty crazy life before knowing Jesus, but the Lord doesn't disqualify that person 30 years later by pointing their finger at them because it's the accuser of the brother. It's the, it's the enemy that points the finger at the church and they say, remember 30 years ago, friend, that's under the blood. And I felt like the Lord just spoke to me and says, that's the accuser of the brethren. That's the one who's pointing the finger at people in the body. Saying, remember 10 years ago? Remember 20 years ago? bringing up things that took place 20, 30 years ago. And I want to tell you this afternoon that that is covered. Jesus paid the penalty of what you and I did. Do you understand what I'm saying? A penalty had to be assessed, but he took on the penalty. He took on the crime. He took on the incident. And then he tells you, you're the hero. You're a free man. You're a free woman. It doesn't, there's something about us wanting to do something to earn it. It comes to us as a gift. That's the beauty of the gospel. I don't have to earn it. I just receive it. I just accept it. So receive it, accept it. If you need to repent, repent. Receive it, accept it, get on with your purpose. It's that easy. All right, let's stand. I Hopefully that made sense to you all. I want you to take a moment. I just want you to, if you wouldn't mind, just closing your eyes for a moment, maybe bowing your head. One guy said, close your head and bow your eyes. I don't want you to close your head. I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. David said that the reflection of searching our heart and asking the Holy Spirit to come, there's any wicked way in me, Lord. Expose it.
And then I want you to make the choice to repent from that. Just repent. Repentance is one of the most loving things you can do. Repentance is like the father and the son embracing. The daughter and the, and the dad embracing. It's, it's a coming to, into agreement. It's restoration. I mean, if there's things in your life that you know aren't right, and we're talking about not just marginal things. I'm not wanting you to scour. I'm just asking the Holy Spirit would point it out and just say, Lord, I'm sorry. I repent. I repent. I turn from that. Now I want you to ask the Lord to give you strength to maintain that level of repentance. Because in our own strength, we can't do it. But when we rely on the Lord, we can. Does that make sense? So let the, let's just let the Holy Spirit just minister to you right now. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that easily entangles and let us run let us run let us run he wants to run with you He wants to run with you. Are you going to let him run with you? Let him run. Let him run with you. So, Lord, we we just say yes. We we come into agreement with your word that there we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Ah, they're cheering you on. 
And Lord, we make a choice to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that easily entangles and we run. We run. Lord, I never want to live below my potential in God. I never want to live below my potential. I never want to live. I don't want to end my life with a list full of regrets. I want to run. I want to run. So, Father, I pray that you would release your people into their full potential. As sons and daughters of the living God, the ones that have been blood-bought, the ones that we could actually cry, Abba, the ones that could actually draw near to the heart and the affection of the Lord, and the one who has created us and loves us and is actually championing us into greatness. We just break off, we just break off shame, this false sense of humility in the name of Jesus, and we come into the place of declaring who we are. We just declare who we are. And Lord, we, we face the gates of Hades declaring who we are. May we access the keys of the kingdom. May we go through the gates with our head held high, our shoulders back, confident that he who began a good work in us will complete it. So I want you to receive that. I want you to receive that. I want you to receive that as a as a man, as a woman, as a husband, as a wife, as a dad, as an employee, receive it. You know, when people talk about identity, they say, I'm a doctor. Men tend to focus on occupation. Women tend to focus on relationship. I'm a mother of two. I'm a doctor. I'm a government employee. And I was thinking about that, and I was, looking, I was thinking about the Old Testament. And Moses said to the Lord, if you're going to send me, who shall I say is sending me? And the Lord said, I am. Just tell him, I am. See, it's not, I am a pastor. I am. It's just, I am. Because he is. Does that make sense? Our identity in God comes before our profession, comes before our relationships, It's the I am that makes me complete. We bless you, Jesus. Jordan, why don't you sing that chorus? And let's all sing it together. And then we'll go. my
We have to step into our identity to change history. So Lord, my prayer is that we take a step today into greater levels of our identity so we can change history. Work it out in me. Work it out in my brothers and sisters. In the name of Jesus. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more messages like this, please subscribe and thank you for listening.